Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, psychoanalyst. And I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take back control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. And today, I am so excited. I have a wonderful guest. We are going to talk about guys, body image, and eating disorders. So if you saw the movie Barbie... Or even if you haven't, if you're maybe one of the 10 people on this planet who has not seen that movie, you may realize that it is just as hard to be Ken as it is to be Barbie. Many guys struggle alone with body image issues and eating disorders. And if you're a guy or you know a man dealing with these issues, you are definitely going to want to listen to this show. And look, I forgot to turn off my... Do not disturb. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so today, special guest, Martin, Mar oh, hold on. This is what happens on live when you forget to, when you forget to turn off your thing and then you say your guest name <laughs> wrong and Marcus is my friend. So Marcus, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Special guest, Marcus Kane will discuss the issues of men, body image and eating disorders and share strategies and solutions. Let me tell you about my friend Marcus. He is an eating disorder informed nutrition coach based in the UK. And he struggled with eating disorders while working as a professional guitar player. So cool. Not, not the eating disorder part, the professional guitar part. <laughs> and now he helps other people on their journey as a coach and as the host of the Strong Not Starving podcast. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you, Dr. Nina. What an intro. <laughs> what an intro. Amazing. I I, I'm I'm going to turn off my notifications right now so that will not happen again. Okay, <laughs> done. So <laughs> you have your own personal struggle. I think it would be really helpful for you to share you know, how you came to be doing the work that you are doing. Sure. So my own, I don't want to sound dramatic, but descent into what turned out to be 15 years of eating disorders, 10, 15 years of struggling with different eating disorders was surprisingly slow and kind of sneaky. It started off with just being interested in fitness. You know, we could probably track it back like to when I was a, a kid and, you know, being shown different images of like men's bodies through the fitness and bodybuilding kind of scene and Hollywood and whatever. And kind of, we could go that far and talk about the images that we internalize as kids. So I was growing up watching the same action heroes as everyone else. And this was like, you know, the nineties. So the previous gen of action heroes, but yeah, I started to get interested in fitness through competitive school sport, wanted to do really well there, kind of wanted to prove myself and it, it snowballed and just escalated. The tipping point really was when a locally well-respected nutrition professional started giving me body composition tests at around the age of 
14. Uh, for the record, I was not overweight. Uh, I There was no health issues. This was purely in the name of, you know, performing well in school sport and, and doing all this kind of stuff. When those tests um, started to go a bit sideways, and by sideways, I mean purely when I wasn't losing fat and gaining muscle constantly, the keto diet was recommended. So as a 14-year-old kid who was clearly going down a bit of a rough path, I very quickly developed uh, anxiety and and all that kind of fun stuff surrounding carbohydrates. And I started being really strict with my diet. That led into very quickly into uh, a period of anorexia, which then became bulimia, binge eating disorder, all these other things. As a young adult, I started working in the fitness industry because, you know, I fit in there <laughs> and I was always doing music industry work and fitness industry kind of side by side, like in the years that being a guitar player wasn't supporting me full time. My day job was in gyms as a personal trainer, pardon me, as a personal trainer. And yeah, it, it took me a lot of years to see through the fog of that experience. And finally, in my late 20s, I, I realized that it was an eating disorder that I'd been struggling with that whole time. And that, you know, the worst of it didn't like the worst of it being over didn't mean that I was free of it. And that for many years after I thought, oh, that's past me, like that's gone. I don't struggle with that anymore. I was still struggling with binge eating disorder and I was still making a lot of decisions that were limiting my life and limiting my options based on maintaining a certain physique, sticking to a very rigid diet. And I wanted to help people with what I considered to be or what I was seeing as a really big problem, because I was looking around in gyms and seeing that a lot of the, the people showing up to train with other trainers were struggling with disordered eating. No one was calling it that. Everyone was just saying dieting, but everyone was frustrated. Everyone was struggling. And I, I wanted to start doing work in an area that really made a difference and drew attention to something that had essentially robbed me of 15 years of my own life. Oh, and thank you for your vulnerability in sharing your story, which is so much more common than most people realize. Everyone has this idea that eating disorders, body image issues are the purview of women and girls. And that is just not true. And by the way, if you're listening to this live and you would like to share in the conversation, ask Marcus a question or share your experience, the number is 866-472-5792. So how common is this in your experience with guys how common are eating disorders and body dysmorphia all of this kind of stuff bigorexia anorexia in the, the male population it's exceptionally hard to get an exact number on it or any uh data that's a proper representation of how many people are actually struggling with it because not everyone who's struggling with it knows 
that that's what they're struggling with and also people don't people don't want to talk about it so we we hide these things we cover them up but from the research that i've seen i'm sure there's a lot of variation depending on different studies and this kind of stuff but from the research that i've seen um binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder amongst men so there is a an alarming number of men out there struggling with binge eating disorder but we label it as all these different things it's it's you know dieting with cheat days or it's just it's or it's bulking to to put on a whole heap of weight for whatever reason and not to say that there's not a place for nutrition that's aligned with what we could call an athletic goal like there's a place for that too but more people than we realize have crossed the line into it being a disorder and it is actually the most prevalent eating disorder across the board and you know it's much more prevalent than anorexia or bulimia combined and mm. as you said it's the eating disorder that nobody knows they have they think they have no willpower they think they have no control they think they're a food addict or they tell themselves a story that they're just eating for you know for bulking up but i think we all know yeah. the difference between eating for strength training and binge eating now when you when you finally realized you had a problem and it needed to be resolved and you began to seek support tell us about your experience of what that was like as a guy mm. my first experience of reaching out for support felt like i was talking to someone who was a specialist in the field of mental health but they had no idea how to talk to someone who was struggling with an eating disorder they had no clue what the experience of an eating disorder was like and i could sense that from them i could sense that they <clears throat> i don't want to use the word judgmental but for them they they couldn't see the logic in the way i was behaving so they were kind of taking that approach of like well can't you see that the way you're eating and the way you're behaving is illogical like why oh why why are you doing this like can't can't you like they they thought that if they just repeatedly pointed out how illogical it was that i'd all of a sudden go like oh you're right i've been acting crazy you know like but it doesn't work like that and then years later i tried going to uh overeaters anonymous oh no again <laughs> tried going to overeaters anonymous but from the outside looking in i'm a normal sized guy who is by most people's standards in what some people call good shape so i walked in there and immediately felt i don't know a bit self conscious i i started judging myself i was like ah oh, i don't have a real problem there are other people in here that have it harder than me um i yeah i'm i'm taking up space that could be taken up by someone who has a real problem and and i i i felt guilty being there so and also their teaching didn't really resonate with me so i i left and and never went back and that that was it i i found my own way from there 
Um, but the official channels for help were dismal. I am so sorry you had that experience. I always tell people it's not logical, it's psychological. It, yeah. it, it's like telling someone with anorexia, you know, this is not good for you. You should just eat. And they, they'd be like, really? Oh, my God. Thank you for alerting me. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> Give me a hamburger. Like, it just like, doesn't oh, work wow. that way. And so I'm so sorry you had that experience. And, of course, um, you know, OA and that tw the 12-step program look at what, what's going on with food as the problem rather than as the solution to the problem. So good mm. for you for you know, f being tenacious and finding your way through and now being there as a resource for other people who are, are struggling through everything that you do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, given given your experience, I can see why a lot of people don't reach out for help or they try and they hit a brick wall and they get discouraged and, and they, you know, they say enough. Um, mm. But why do you think men in particular have a hard time reaching out for help? There's a lot of... A lot of guilt and shame tied up in uh, hitting targets for, I guess, what we could call being adequately masculine, like be man enough. Like there are very specific ideas about what it is to be a man, what you need to be in order to be masculine. And a lot of what we could call the, the recovery space, eating disorder recovery space, I, I'm sorry to say this, but does not do a good job of speaking to men and their values. At this point in time, people selling diets that reinforce disordered eating habits, that reinforce toxic ideals around masculinity, they are doing a better job at understanding uh, men and speaking directly to men in a way that resonates with us as men so it's like the the people who are selling the problem are doing a much better job at understanding men than the people selling the solution that and, yeah. is tragic it's i it's hate myself a little bit for saying that because obviously i'm not saying that the recovery space is is bad or or doing or doing a bad job like there are so many amazing people who are doing an incredible job every day helping people recover from often life-threatening eating disorders but if we were look at if we were to look at why men aren't reaching out for help it's all this uh stigma surrounding masculinity and also just the fact that yeah the people selling the problem right now are doing a better job at speaking to men and understanding the, the values that most men have and i i've i've heard you talk about the even the vernacular that's used the the language that's used to, to try to reach men or no to not try to reach men to try to help people recover which as you know i, I even have a problem with recovery because i'm the word liberation is. liberation yeah the cure um but you've talked about how words like intuitive eating or gentle nutrition, body positivity, those don't really resonate with guys. Like, 
not a lot of guys are going to be like, I'm embracing, you know, gentle nutrition. So <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true. Like if we were to remove the label from it and look at the principles of gentle nutrition, they would, that it makes sense to a, a lot of, a lot of people. Like it, it's not rocket science. It makes sense. It even has room for athletic goals, but who, I can't swear on this radio show. Can I, I'm, I'm like catching you can. myself. You ah. actually can, or you can use a, you can use a, you know, you know, flipping. Okay. So uh, who I've lost my train of thought. Yeah. But who's going to go, Oh, you know what? I need to reinvent my life. Gentle nutrition is going to be my thing. Like it doesn't, again, I appreciate what gentle nutrition does. I appreciate the message of intuitive eating and we can learn a lot from those things, but it comes down to marketing. It comes down to stigma. Who is going to, at that point, mainly men, what, what man is going to look at the health and wellness space specifically around nutrition and pick gentle nutrition. Like it's unfortunate, but so much of this stuff comes down to marketing and people feeling like one message or another speaks to them. And right now, a lot of the really constructive, positive messages out there surrounding nutrition, a lot of the great philosophies out there surrounding nutrition just sound unappealing. And of course, focusing on the nutrition is is not quite focusing on the right thing because eating disorders are ultimately not about nutrition you most people i know who struggle with eating disorders can tell you the calorie carb and fat content of any food out there in any restaurant in any grocery store they know exactly they know what to eat they just don't know why they can't stop eating and that has nothing to do with nutrition but just getting back to the like semantics i think that's why the the title of your podcast strong not starving says a lot men guys want to be strong and mm. not gentle they want to be <laughs> like well they've got to learn to be more gentle with themselves but gentle is not a marketing tactic that is going to reach a lot of guys who are like, yes, I need to be gentle with my nutrition. <laughs> that, but strong, not starving? Hell yeah. I want to be strong. Mm. A lot of thought went into that name, like trying to figure out something. And I wish that um I wish that what one thing or another was called wasn't such a big thing. But we see so many different uh, different approaches, different philosophies coming at us every day. There are so many different avenues and it, we're going to end up choosing something that speaks to our values. We're going to end up choosing something that makes us feel like we're on the way to being the person that we really want to be. And the, the liberation space, the uh, space that encourages self-awareness and smart decisions surrounding food we we need to find a way to to communicate that message a bit better and and to focus on 
not so much what we're eating, but why it's not, you know, what you're eating that is the true problem. It's what's eating at you. It's not what you weigh that is the true problem. It's what's weighing on you. Absolutely. How how many times have have you seen like no, countless? How many times have you seen someone try to take control of their life by controlling their food choices? Um, countless. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or just or displace um, anger towards other people onto themselves instead of I'm so upset at my partner they really disappointed me. No, I'm really actually upset at myself because I ate bagels and I'm disappointed in myself and now I'm going to berate myself and then to make myself feel better I'm going to go eat more bagels because I can't be around my own mean voice. But well it's easier to be mad at the bagels, right? Or at yourself. Mm, at yourself, yeah. Yeah. Now uh, being mad at yourself that makes me think about kind of this this sense of suffering, right? That that the sense of suffering that that often like no pain no gain right that's a mantra at the gym hmm. and how does this in your experience how does this translate into like a gender experience of su like suffering it, it, like badge of honor almost hmm. suffering has been glorified a lot um in just masculine culture, like amongst men, there's almost this badge of honor, like you said, like it's, it's treated as, as a mark of achievement sometimes, how much suffering you can endure. And we've gotten to the point where we're glorifying unnecessary suffering. The thing that I think of when you bring up this topic is like, I often hear about people talking about the diet that they're on being good for their quote discipline. And they're on like an unnecessarily restrictive diet that eliminates food groups for no good reason. It goes way, way beyond the idea of just making sure that we're like choosing healthy foods and getting enough exercise and all that kind of stuff. And it, it becomes unnecessary restriction in the name of the the glorification of discipline and suffering there, there are better vehicles to practice discipline than an overly restrictive diet like if someone wants to to practice discipline like i don't know start a business learn a martial art you know like all, all this kind of stuff but our diets self-imposing unnecessary restriction as a, as a measure of what, how, how, how disciplined we are, how man we are, how much suffering we can endure. It's not, it's just not constructive. It's not helping. And it creates this separation between us and our bodies. It, it makes me think of this, this, this guy I went out with once and you'll understand <laughs> why when I tell you the story. Well, before I met my husband, obviously, I went out with a lot of guys. And one of the guys tells me, he's like, he tells me how if he has to go to the bathroom, he waits until the very last minute because he's not going to let his body win. He's going to win over his body. And when he needs to go, he's not going to go. He's That way he has mastery over his body. Now, people, when they hear this story... 
which I tell a lot because people say, that's crazy. And I say, that's an eating disorder. That's anorexia. I'm not going to give in to my body's needs. I will mm. have mastery over my body. So whether it's going to the bathroom or eating or whatever's going on, all of this just separates ourselves from our bodies. And it's it's like us versus our bodies rather than taking care of our bodies. Our bodies are us, part of mm. us. When you put it that way, it it's a really good way to look at how nonsensical it kind of is. Like when we place restrictions on our diet in a way that's com like completely unnecessary. And you know, that, that is some, that's an experience that is well removed from maybe practicing a healthy diet, you know, in, there seems to be this, uh, this assumption that if someone says, you know, don't be over overly restrictive all of a sudden that means eating oreos for breakfast and whatever but no like we can eat a, a balanced healthy diet we can practice that without being overly restrictive but the whole concept of being overly restrictive and practicing unnecessary restriction how is that different to waiting when you need to go to the bathroom until like the very last moment like how how is it different yeah and he was he was so proud of himself too. He's just telling oh, me great. how he is just in charge, not his body. Oh. Yeah. So you know, suffering like the celebration of of suffering and and discipline and it becoming perverse really when it comes out in the arena of of um, relationship to our bodies and as guys especially. I'll show you who's who's boss. Right. Well, I don't know. We. I, yeah, I got nothing. I don't know where to go with that. That's, 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 uh, that's rough. That, that's, that's, that's a rough practice to put yourself through. But it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about strength, like showing that you're strong, which is why gentle nutrition is not appealing as a marketing strategy, showing that you're strong by battling yourself. Mm. There are, there are better battles to put your energy towards. Exactly. So, yeah, like, uh, like when you think about strength, what do you think of as a guy? Stress management, healthy emotional management, the, the practice of being able to pause and not be reactionary when we experience urges, when we experience emotions the ability to act mindfully and be present and act with intention, not just pinball through life, emotionally bouncing from one thing to another. The, the ability to practice nuance, saying no to black and white thinking, because, you know, people like, oh, I'm just a really, I'm, I'm a really all or nothing person. It's like, well, Okay, but that that's really um our, our mind just trying to paint everything with a really broad brush and not wanting to do the work of being nuanced. So strength is is all these things. It's rejecting black and white thinking and actually being present and showing nuance and self-awareness and pausing when we experience emotions. 
being able to take that moment and reflect even when we are experiencing a really difficult emotion or something like that. That's that's strength to be able to be intentional. Oh, I wish that more people, not just men, embraced that philosophy because in our culture, as you know, being a guy, we get the message that strength is often the absence of feelings, much less being able to, you know, d deal with them or 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 respond to them in a me in a measured, thoughtful way. It's you know, you're strong if you don't have feelings, and you're weak if you have feelings. In fact, I once was on a podcast. Um, a guy named John Bucanis had a podcast called Let's Reverse Obesity. And he said at some point, well, well, let me get this straight. Like I'm binge eating because something's going on with my emotions and and then I'm binging to escape them or cope with them. And I said, that's exactly right. And he said, I'm a dude, I don't have feelings. And he was serious, he was serious. It's like, yeah, oh, dude, dear. you do have feelings because you are also human. And so yeah. that that speaks to I mean, you can certainly speak to it better than I can, not being a dude, but that speaks to the pressure that men feel not to even experience their humanity in the first place. Mm. Well, it takes strength to experience that humanity because experiencing the full scope of experiences that is being human is difficult. It's in some ways in the short term, seemingly easier to wall off a lot of these experiences and trying to streamline what it is to exist. But being able to manage the full spectrum of human experiences is flipping hard. Right? It is flipping it, hard so for all humans. Yes. That, that, that to me is strength. And like, I, I used to believe that practicing um a very wrong form of stoicism like i know there's a lot a lot of cool stuff that we can learn from philosophy and everything like that but i jumped to conclusions when i was a young man about what stoicism was i thought that meant just not having emotion or you know never reacting to anything ever and i thought that was what being strong was but those things just they build up inside us like a like water in a dam just building pressure and uh it, it doesn't lead anywhere good it often leads to eating disorders where all of the emotions then you that that you disavow consciously come out against yourself and it's mm -hmm. a vicious cycle yeah so let me switch gears a little bit and talk about um performance enhancing drugs and body image and how often these drugs and media have completely per perverted our sense of what guys are even supposed to look like. I I saw some movie, it was old with Cary Grant, forget what it was, Cary Grant, <laughs> I think it was North by Northwest and it was, you know, Cary Grant like takes off his shirt and he's wearing like a wife beater undershirt or something like that. Or maybe I'm, maybe I'm mixing different, <laughs> different movies, but what struck me was he just by today's standard he just looked like like nothing he was he didn't have big muscles he was, didn't have the body that today is just what you're supposed to have as a guy 
Mm. So, so how have steroids and other kinds of drugs influenced our ideas, men and women, about what male bodies are supposed to look like? Mm. I want to preface this by just saying like, there's nothing wrong with having some aspirations as far as our bodies. Like body autonomy is a thing, being able to make choices about our own body and maybe even working towards something in an intelligent way with our body. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But the world of performance enhancing drugs, especially the world of performance enhancing drugs in Hollywood, has warped our perception of what an in shape guy looks like to the point where when performance enhancing drugs were just in bodybuilding and they hadn't made their way into Hollywood, that whole thing was just, you know, it was a niche, niche market. But the moment performance enhancing drugs started to make their way into pop culture, then just our, our perception, our, our image of what men look like started to change and so much so that now you know we're seeing teenage kids on social media uh who are outright kind of bragging about the fact that they're using performance enhancing drugs and it's it i i get so speechless when i see that kind of thing because again there's nothing wrong with wanting to be you know in good shape if you if you if that's something you want to work towards but our perception has just become so warped as a result of performance and enhancing drugs making their way into popular culture and if you think of like think just go ahead and, and think of the five most famous men in the world right now and i'd be willing to put money on the fact that at least one of those guys at least and i'm being really generous right now at least one of those guys is using performance enhancing drugs and the the question that really pisses in people's cornflakes is those people would they have the career that they have would they be the person that they are as far as their their place in society without performance enhancing drugs and even if you take it out of the arena of you know this the most super famous people it's in our culture like i remember like it was six packs right oh the guy is a six pack and then it was like an eight pack and now it's a 12 pack i mean how many more packs can a person pack and their abs but they're just these unreasonable ideas of what you know what is preferred in the male yeah. body and how that's really perverted body image for men and for what women are expecting guys to look like or wanting them to look like. The funny thing with that is that most of the time when we look at, at studies, uh, there are very limited numbers of studies, but when we look at studies about what men think men should look like versus what women think men should look like, men think guys, most men, uh, especially young men, especially adolescent men, think that they need to look jacked, like think that they need to look huge. And when 
women are asked about their ideal male body, it's very different to what men think they need to look like. So I think we should cut women a break here because women aren't asking the same things of men as men are. It's it's men who are putting this pressure on each other. There are I don't know how many women are out there saying we need our Marvel superheroes to look like insanely jacked. I don't I don't I don't know of any women who are making that request. Um and again, I feel like I need to put so many disclaimers on this. I don't believe morally there's anything wrong with performance enhancing drugs. I have my own experience of using performance enhancing drugs. The issue is with the lack of transparency and the lack of education surrounding performance enhancing drugs and how it's kind of swept under the rug. I don't know how this could possibly be changed. I don't know how it could be enforced. I think there are too many loopholes and all that kind of stuff. But I think that it it should be if if someone wants to use performance enhancing drugs, that's fine. That's their choice. And I don't judge individuals for their own choices with that kind of thing. But things start to get really mixed up and messy when images that are attached to commercial products, to films, to, to things that make their way into that whole machine are driven by performance enhancing drugs. If that makes any sense, or if I'm just going around in circles here. It, it makes sense. It, and just as guys may think that women are only interested in super jacked looking guys, which no, it's not true. The reverse is true. Women think guys want them to look a certain way, and that's usually not the case either. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but it still it shows up subtly. Like you know, my friend, she was looking at her Bumble account, and you know, she's looking at guys, and she's in her early forties, and she's looking at guys. My fifteen year old daughter starts looking through, and she's like, "No, he has a dad bod," and I'm like, "What? What does that mean? He has a dad bod." <laughs> And we look, and it's just like a guy, just a guy. And you know why he has a dad bod? He's a dad, but he just was a like a just a guy, just a normal looking guy. And so I was thinking, like, wow, my own daughter's fifteen year old daughter's idea of like what men are supposed to look like is really skewed. Now that also maybe because we live in Los Angeles and we live in Calabasas, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of all of this. So that might be part of it, but it's still like, normal guys are now are, are are feeling like, oh wait, I've got a dad bob. I've got a if not super jacked, I've got to get the at least the six pack. No. Mm. It's like, yeah, dude, you've got a dad bob and you're you're a dad. You're you're like every single waking moment of your day is dedicated to taking care of your family and providing for your family. And okay, so that means that you don't have time or resources to do like the a Hollywood workout split and everything like that. And the, the difficult thing about that is there are 100% people out there who are dads, who are in uh you know, competition level bodybuilder shape and would say, well, I can do it. So, you know, it's possible, like what the hell? But 
I I don't buy into this whole fitness industry narrative and comparison narrative of I can do it can so but so so can you like even if we did all have the same physiology which we don't we all have different minds and you know I'm in good company right now when if we were to talk about how much of an impact the mind has on our physical body absolutely and so often we focus on our physical bodies so that we don't have to think about things or feel things or we have a sense of mastery over our our ourselves by by mastering you know our weight or getting or trying to whatever or distracting from it all all right so mm -hmm. we've talked about the problems right the societal problems which are huge what about some solutions like if if i have a, a magic wand somewhere not close to me right now but i've been told it works slowly <laughs> it works just slowly but if it worked right away and uh I, you know, I said, here, Marcus, wave the wand, and then everything would would be changed. What would change? Like, what is it that needs to change specifically so that we can live in a world where we're not, where guys are not, and women, but guys, we're talking about guys today. Guys are not struggling with body image, food, weight, all of the things. I would remove the extremes from what we're currently experiencing as a society there is almost this idea that you're either in hollywood level shape or you're aiming for that and trying to be in just insane shape or you're failing and just you know let go of the idea of healthy eating and, and training and everything like that and just kind of let it go so i would encourage people to look at their own point of diminishing returns when it comes to the effort and time that they're putting in to the controllable variables surrounding their health and nutrition. So because for everyone, there's going to be a point where when it comes to food, uh, when it comes to training, and obviously from the perspective of a nutrition coach, this is the area that I'm dealing with most, there's going to be a point at which we experience optimum results from the resources we have available. That's going to be your time, the money you can spend, you know, your energy. And then anything beyond that starts to become a drastically uh, an ever-increasing commitment and ever-increasing sacrifice for fewer and fewer gains. So this is what I feel people need to um what we what we need to share like a little bit more it's that it's it's not a bad thing to try it's not a bad thing to work hard it's not a bad thing to want to be healthy it's not a bad thing to want to be fit and strong that's awesome do those things but recognize this point of diminishing returns where it's no it it, it starts to have a negative impact on our lives and then if for whatever reason you, you reach that point in your life, you're like, okay, in order to progress further in terms of fitness or whatever, 
beyond where I currently am, I would need to start sacrificing things like time with family, like my income, like whatever. And I'm still not happy with how I look or how fit I am or what that would be a cue to where else is your, your value as a man? Like where else is your value as a human being? You're, you're worth more than your image. So this combination of things, understanding that our value extends so far beyond how we look and then being honest about how much effort we can put into nutrition and fitness before it starts to become a disorder, before it starts to become something that takes over our lives in a negative way and is just bringing negatives rather than adding positives. That's what I would do with your magic wand. And while you're at it, can you please get rid of diet culture? Because <laughs> the diet industry, I mean, if you're, if you're all powerful and you know, omnipotent with the wand, please I, I well, get rid of, let's get rid of diet culture because diet culture sells us the illusion that if you just look like this, you will be a better version of you. If you're shy, you'll be more outgoing. If you don't have friends, you're going to be surrounded by people. You know, people will like you. You're going to be just a better version of you. And how about just accept and embrace who we are rather than try to change um, our, ourselves or think that we need to change uh, change ourselves or that losing weight will actually make us lose the parts of us that we don't like. I mean, what a sales job the diet industry has done on yeah. our on our planet. Get the right macro split and all your problems will be resolved. Everything about life will be better. That's the sales pitch, right? That's it. You'll 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 be a better version of you. You'll be happier. If you if someone doesn't like you, you can lose weight and they will like you. Oh, he he doesn't like you, she doesn't like you. Just lose weight. Then they'll like you. <laughs> Sign me up, right? Right. I mean, what a superpower. <laughs> yeah. So so what what would you say if you could go back in time? If we could get into a DeLorean time machine and go back in time and talk to the 14-year-old boy that you were, what would you say to him? That's a really amazing question and also a really difficult one because I'm going to open a uh, kind of Pandora's box here a little bit because one of the trademarks of struggling with an eating disorder is in some ways being hell bent on what you're doing to the point where you're not seeing things clearly. And at that point in my life, it would have been hard for anyone to convince me that looking like a cover model wasn't going to magically somehow improve my life in every way that my life needed to be improved. I believed with every fiber of my being that looking that way, that this body goal that I had was going to deliver. So I don't, know exactly what I would tell myself. I would want to find a way to, to communicate to myself effectively that 
dude, you're worth way more than just how you look. And the things that you're currently struggling with in your life are not the result of you being deficient somehow in terms of your appearance. There are bigger fish to fry. And if you want to create a different life, if you, you know, if you want the things that you want, sure, we can do that. But investing all of your energy in trying to look a certain way, like that's not going to get you there, dude. So let's, let's invest our energy where it's going to count. That's, that's what I would say. And I would just hope that I believed myself. All right. Along the same lines, what would you say to the coach who weighed you and suggested that you had to go on the keto diet? Go home, dude. You should have known better. Like this, this is someone who was, you know, not young. They were really well-respected naturopath, actually, in, in my hometown. Um, their waiting room was always full. I'd say at, at that age, at, at 14, um, when someone's not an adult yet, I'd be like, it, it was, it was your responsibility to guide me at that point. And you screwed it up. Cost me 15 years. Go to hell. And in, in a way we can look at how you internalize the, like the voice that said you need to change was that voice or your interpretation of his voice. And mm. so often we we're in battle of, with ourselves, but it's ideas that we've gotten as a result of the way other people treat us. Yeah. I could go on about the, the experiences that led to jumping to those conclusions and, and feeling the way about myself that I did. But uh, I think we all have a few of those. Absolutely. And that's why changing our relationship with ourselves is really the key. Whatever, whether we're male, female, or non-binary, right? The key is to creating a harmonious relationship with ourselves. So often we're just slave driving ourselves, finding fault, feeling deficient, thinking that if we just, you know, X, then we'll be you know, why? <laughs> well, mm. we just lose weight if we just gain muscle, if we just do the whatever the 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 when then when I when I get to this place, then I'll be happy, then I'll be successful, then I'll feel good about myself. And it just it, that you never get to the even if you get to the when, you don't get to the then. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add about add to this discussion about like you know what what do you want to say to guys who might be listening who are saying yeah but you know you don't know what it's like Marcus like you know it's go to the gym and I got to keep up and you know mm. feel like less than my relationship with training and food has produced the best results when I was free from disordered eating. Like 
when I was struggling with an eating disorder, when I was struggling with all that kind of stuff, I was weaker, not as healthy. I, I wasn't succeeding in the way that I'm succeeding now. So even if we want to talk purely from the perspective of outcomes, when it comes to training and nutrition, it is still better to go down that path without an eating disorder. Even if we're talking about it in that very, very two-dimensional way, still better not to have an eating disorder. And what would you say to someone who said, well, I don't have an eating disorder, but I just hate the way I look. Just wish I, I just wish I looked more cut, more bigger, whatever it is. Hyper-focusing on that is not going to change it in the way that you want it to change. When it comes to certain things with our bodies and how we feel about ourselves, we need to find ways to make that not our number one focus. And where we can do that, ironically, we experience, we get a better experience, we get a better result than if it is the primary focus of our existence. Perfectly said. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today and sharing your experience and your thoughts and, and your solutions. Tell us, how can people find you? Best place to find me is the Strong Not Starving podcast. I do have an Instagram page that's called uh, MKane Coaching. It's uh, Kane spelt K-A-I-N. But the most reliable place to get me is the Strong Not Starving podcast. And then if you want to drop me a message or something like that, find me on Instagram. If you want to be entertained also, like if you want to get <laughs> like thought-provoking content in an entertaining way, definitely go to his Instagram. He is too modest, but I will say his Instagram is fantastic and, and super helpful. So um, thank you again. It is just always such a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm so glad that you could join me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina every Thursday at noon. I am here on Voice America. So please join me next week or listen to the podcasts, manage to a podcast later, listen later on all podcasts. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.